My name is Liz Parker, and those are stars. Oh, I got a new job. I'm leaving town. I can't take this kid with me. It's spicy. Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Elisa Ora. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. We're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today, we are discussing Season 1, Episode 15, Independence Day. According to IMDb, this is the one where, after his foster father becomes physically abusive, Michael decides the time has come for him to leave Roswell. And I would like to just add a content warning at the top here. As you can gather from that description, this episode includes depictions of domestic violence and child abuse, and we will be discussing those topics in our podcast episode. This uh, Roswell episode was written by Tony Graffia. This is the first of six Roswell episodes she wrote. Uh, she also was a writer on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, Carnival, Battlestar Galactica, and Outlander. So quite the impressive resume. Oh, two of those are like very high up on my show list. Nice. Well, Carnival, right? And which and one? Battlestar. Ah. Oh, yeah. Right on. Uh, I loved Dr. Quinn when I was a kid, but I would guess that it hasn't aged well. <laughs> Probably. Well, I, I mean, it's historical to begin with, so maybe it's okay. I mean... I probably won't be watching to find out. <laughs> yeah, same. I definitely watched that when I was a kid, too. Not super regularly, but yeah, I know same. I liked it. Anyway, back to this show... This episode was directed by Paul Shapiro. This is also the first of six Roswell episodes that he directed. And this originally aired on the 16th of February, 2000. So we open at school where Liz is trying to explain to Maria all of the feelings she felt and all of the things she saw when Max kissed her in the last episode, Blind Date. She says that she saw, like, the universe. Yeah. And so... I was wondering, does this mean that the little, like, flashbacks that we were seeing, was she also seeing those in her brain when they were kissing? I think so. That was yeah. kind of the impression I got, that, Same. Um, like, when he healed her, that, and saw, like, they have a connection, and they, and it makes magic happen. Cool. That's my guess. Anyway. Yeah, same. I think she did see it. Well, that is exciting, but also I feel like would have been... Very weird. Yeah. <laughs> True. Like, not a very enjoyable kiss if you're like, <laughs> why am I hallucinating? Hallucinating. Yeah. But then Maria to the rescue with an herbal remedy for animals <laughs> to help yeah. her calm down. Okay. I must say, I looked up grief relief. Grief relief tinctures are very popular. It's a real thing. You can find them from many sources, including Etsy. Yeah. So I think that, that it's like, a blend of herbs and essential oils and you mm -hmm. shouldn't mm -hmm. eat that it's for like <laughs> rubbing it on your pulse points or like your chest or like doing massage with or whatever or like you can squeeze a few drops into a glass of water but eating straight oil is disgusting and not the healthiest i mean liz does say that it tastes disgusting so <laughs> yeah it is a popular thing tinctures um, yeah. A lot of people do what they call oil pulls. They say oh, it's healthy. So I don't know much about it. But um, but yeah, I mean, I did find a lot of tinctures that are meant for like putting some drops under your tongue, like Maria said. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. I have um I have some tinctures that a friend of mine makes that and she has some that are like sprays to like spray around you in the area that have aromatherapy mm-hmm. built into them as well. And then she has ones that are like you put a couple drops under your tongue for various different things. And now a word from our fairy pod mother. Uh, so I also have tinctures. I have some that are for sleep, some that are for like boosting your mood and different things. And I got those in, uh, like little subscription boxes over the years, um, that I don't really know if they work cause I haven't used them that much, but they are super common. Hmm. Yeah. And do you just like eat them like you just put a few drops in your mouth and swallow yep, yep. it'll tell okay. you like two or three drops uh however many times a day yeah like okay. under your tongue mm-hmm. sounds unpleasant to me but to each their own i would like to say that whether maria's grief relief drops really work or not there is something to be said for the placebo effect oh yes, yeah absolutely this is very true for sure it's no joke it really can work yeah so the thing that i found really odd here is that when maria sees max approach instead of like hanging out with liz to be there as a buffer she walks away she walks right past max and they do not make eye contact and they do not acknowledge <laughs> each other and it's so weird aren't they yeah, all friends weird. like yeah like i don't it seems like it wouldn't have taken any extra time for her like to just you know for them to do the like head nod thing yeah so just hi yeah hey a little wave what's up we didn't have to make what's the up? scene any longer could have just acknowledged each other but whatever um, so Max is trying to maybe talk to Liz about what happened. He's being really awkward. And then Isabel is like, Michael's being weird. He ignored me. Chase him into the bathroom. And Max yeah. is like, okay. Go follow him. <laughs> Gotta go. I was very pleased to see that the Descendant sticker is still on the paper towel dispenser in the boys' bathroom. Yay. Yeah. So Some consistency, finally. Yeah. Maybe it was a real sticker that was really in the bathroom <laughs> at the high school where they filmed. They were just like, well, we can't get this off, so yeah. it's part of the show. Yep. It's just on there now. <laughs> and Michael is being really weird in the bathroom. He's like, can I just have some privacy? And then we see that it's because he has a black eye. Yeah. Which is not cool. No. And is clearly from his uh, foster father. Which is confirmed when they, I guess, skip out of school or maybe after school, they go to these train tracks. Uh, Michael is throwing rocks at a passing train. As you do. Yeah. And I don't know if y'all uh-huh. notice this, but as he's throwing the rocks, um, I think it's his mic pack falls out of his pocket and lands on <gasps> the ground. Oh, my God. I missed that. No way. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my. I have to go back. Something jumps out of his pocket and they just kind of like move on. And then there's a cut <laughs> to a, a different angle. Oh, I did not see that. As someone who lived on a train and traveled the country by train, I will say we had windows on the train get broken by people throwing rocks at the train as it passed. What so the hell? that's a thing. Uh, people are so stupid. I, like, that's dangerous for people. Yeah. A train isn't just like an inanimate object. Like, people sometimes travel on trains. Yeah, and this was a passenger living train, not a freight train. So, right. I mean, yeah. and obviously was as such. That's awful um so michael says that hank was drunk and this has happened a couple times before but hank has never left a mark so presumably hank is hitting him in places that people won't usually see yeah or, ugh, this is all really yeah. awful Just and horrible. 
he asks Max to magic it away, and Max, like, immediately responds with, you don't have to protect him, he's not your real father. And I feel like that was a weird conclusion to jump to. Like, Michael does confirm that like he doesn't want to tell anyone, but, like, he could have just wanted the black eye gone because it hurts. Yeah. He doesn't want to have to answer the questions. Like, yeah. there are other reasons besides, like, he wants to protect Hank. Yeah, he didn't say he wanted to protect Hank. You know, like you said, there are many reasons that he wouldn't want to report it or wouldn't want people to know. And I mean, Max and Isabel's father is not their real father either. Well, I would argue it's their real father, just not their biological father. But But yeah, I think that's what Max means here. Um, So I, throughout this episode, kept being reminded of the episode of Boy Meets World that deals with child abuse, which I think handled this much better. Um, It was a season four episode called Dangerous Secret. And you may remember it as the episode featuring uh, Ariana Richards, the girl from Jurassic Park. And the moral of that story is if you are a child being abused or you know a child being abused, tell an adult and involve law enforcement. Yeah. Whether or not that kid wants you to, you tell an adult. If you tell a teacher or a therapist, these people are all mandated reporters. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. all you have to do is tell, you know, a responsible adult in your life and they'll help you and handle it. Yeah. Or you can also call the National Child Help Hotline if you are in the U.S. and I think also Canada at one 800 the number four, a child, or you can visit their website at childhelp.org. Thank you, Lisa. Um, and because we know we have a lot of listeners outside the U.S., there are resources in your country, too. Yes. We may not know it, but the Internet does. Yes. Just a quick Google away, or you can yeah. visit your local uh, women's shelter, social service organization, look up social workers, therapists. And also, uh, if you're in a domestic violence situation, you can go to the hotline.org. You can call them or you can chat online and they will help get you to a safe place. Also, I'm sure we will talk about abuse more in the episode, but um, I think we all know and want to mention that um, abuse is not only in the form of physical violence, always. So absolutely. There are other ways that abuse can manifest. Yes. And I actually so I did a little bit of research on foster care um, for this episode and also on child abuse and the most common form of child abuse that I found. Um, I was looking for information specifically on what it would have theoretically been like for Michael at this time in New Mexico. And the number one reason that children entered foster care was neglect. So parents not uh, performing the things that they need to do in order to take care of a child is a form of abuse and should be reported. Absolutely. I am a mandated reporter, as I uh, have probably mentioned before, and, um, you know, have taken lots of trainings on what constitutes abuse and neglect. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we take these things very seriously. Absolutely. So Michael asks Max to, uh, fix his black eye. And I think he said... Mm -hmm. That, like, he tried to fix it and couldn't. So Michael's powers, mm-hmm. though sometimes he does have really good control over them, um, I think they are closely tied to his emotions, as we mm-hmm. have kind of seen before. I guess for that reason, he wasn't able to do that. And it also seems like his powers are more destructive. So the only time we saw him heal someone was when he was with River Dog. And we can talk Mm -hmm. about whether that was a conscious character choice or lazy writing. I don't know. Um, But all the other instances, (laughs) including the one that we see in this episode, have been him breaking things, melting 
things, you know, things that are more destructive, whereas Max has more of the healing side of the coin. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that he was able to heal River Dog because it was that important to him. And because River Dog was that important to him that he was able to focus his energy. Kind of like when Maria is around him, he is sometimes able to focus his energy better. That because River Dog was a positive influence for him, that that helped. And at the time, he thought he was his dad. No, he found out that he wasn't before he healed him. Before he, they that, had that though. whole little thing where he was like, "Heal it yourself," and River Dog was like, "Oh, honey, I'm not your dad." Oh, and then Michael yeah. was like, "Okay, I'll heal you." And I think like that was a really important character moment for him. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see if Michael uses his healing powers again in the series, or if that's just like a total one-off. In which case, yeah, probably lazy writing. Which would then lead me to believe it was more just like they needed it to happen in the episode. Yeah. So, oh well. All right. So after the credits, we go to the crashdown where Maria is telling Liz they need to stay away from Max and Michael. And she references that commercial when the girl takes the pan and bashes up the kitchen and then says, okay, this is your brain on Max. So we all know what this is referring to, right? Yes. Yeah. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs and the scrambly. Isn't it like scrambled eggs? So it's a commercial starring Rachel Lee Cook that was aired in 1997. Originally, it was produced by the Partnership for a Drug-Free America, and it highlighted the negative consequences of heroin use. Um, So she like smashes the egg and then it's like dripping down her arm and then she's like smashing the dishes and all the things in the kitchen. And it's just like, whoa. Uh, And then... 20 years later, in 2017, Rachel Lee Cook worked with the Drug Policy Alliance to film an updated version that highlights the racist and ineffective nature of America's long-running war on drugs. And I will link to both of these in the show notes. Yeah. The war on drug ones is like, whew, it packs a punch. Um, It, like, uses little cartoon eggs to... Uh, showcase different life outcomes for people who use drugs based on their race. Wow. And it's really upsetting, as it should be. Yeah, I have not seen or heard of that, but I am very interested to watch it. Yeah, same. Yeah, those will be in our show notes, which you can find at roswellhotsauce.com. So Amy comes in, and she's apparently baked just like a bunch of pies is she selling them at the crash town because i thought they got their pies from the house of pies that's what we heard before what a weird side hustle and like it is a diner with a kitchen why don't they make their own pies none of these pies are very difficult like yeah well i mean lots of places like get their baked goods from other from a bakery like i get that but amy doesn't run a bakery she runs a souvenir shop amy makes money wherever she can make money Okay, legally, you cannot sell things in a restaurant that were not produced in a kitchen that meets safety standards. Yeah. Like, she can't, you can't just bake things at your house and then sell them at your restaurant. That's not allowed. <laughs> anyway, I'm far more upset that the sheriff is like, Haha, did you say coconut pie? <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's not for you. And he's like, that's a shame because that looks awful good. And so do you, Amy. And I was like, that, 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 that. But Amy had a different reaction. Eliza, tell us all about it. Well, actually, before this happens, hmm. uh, we actually so Amy's reaction, as always, when Amy is in a scene with Sheriff Valenti, she's laughing because she always laughs. So 
we get a laugh there, but that's actually our second laugh because I forgot to mention that Liz thought that Maria's reference to that commercial was very funny. So Liz actually gave us a really legitimate laugh um, Hmm. when Maria said, this is your brain on Max. But yeah, so then we get to Amy laughing with the sheriff every single second that they are talking. It's like that flirt laughing that at some point someone in her life must have told her, like, when you're around a man, make sure you laugh at all his jokes and like toss your hair and put your body towards his to show that you're interested. And so she's just like half leaning in. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, buddy. I honestly hate counting these towards a laugh count because they just they aren't real laughs. You know, she's not like laughing at anything funny. Like you said, she's like laughing to impress him or like to boost his ego. It's supposed to make you seem more attractive i guess i don't know men are always telling women to smile so maybe she's like look at me smiling (laughs) is this what you wanted (laughs) the patriarchy's great (laughs) (laughs) also their flirting here is just kind of like gross there's a lot of like kind of euphemisms she's like when i make a pie for someone i expect it to get eaten and he's like i'll eat your pie (laughs) oh yeah he says if you make it i'll eat it and i was like nope Nope. No, no. No, thank you. <laughs> she also says that they, on their last two outings, the sheriff didn't make it to dessert, which means they've had at least one date that we didn't see on screen. Because hmm. we only saw them have that one dinner that he left right. in the middle of to go bust up the party and heat wave. So at some point they went on another date and he did the exact same thing, I guess. What a dick. So now he somehow maneuvers the situation to where she is baking for him and having him over to her house, which seems like a situation he's engineered to get fed and then get laid. And I don't appreciate it. I also feel like she is set up to be this like independent, like feminist character. So it's until kind of a, a man comes along. Yeah, it's a bummer mm-hmm. when that happens. Also that. a bummer is her saying, just remember, Jim, in this state, we have a three strikes law now, which seems like a very callous reference to a law that puts people in prison for life. Ha 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 prison ha ha it's funny because because they can never get out new mexico was one of the first states to adopt this kind of law in 1994 although i will say in their favor that their law targets uh, people who commit violent felonies in a lot of states this is like any felony which includes drug related yeah uh, crimes which is bleh, what a disaster anyway i didn't think this was a funny joke and it pulled me out of the episode to go do research on new mexico's three strikes law so okay <laughs> so um max and isabel are sitting and talking and uh max tells isabel even though michael asked him not to max tells isabel um that hank has been beating up michael and isabel seems like annoyed that he told her and doesn't want her to do anything about it, which I I don't know. She does some things in this episode that I felt like were out of character for her based on what we've seen. And this was one of them where I think she would just take charge of the situation and be like, I don't really care what Michael thinks he wants in this situation. He's in danger. And we yeah. are his family, and it is our job to protect him. And so if yeah. he's mad at us, that's better than him being beaten and like possibly killed by this man because abuse tends to escalate a man who is drunk all the time and has a gun in his house a loaded gun in his kitchen that is not locked up we'll we'll get to it yeah i had a lot of thoughts on that i agree lisa though i felt like this episode is very out of character for 
Izzy and like what we have come to expect from her. Um, yeah, agreed. I'll leave it there for now because she's going to have a lot more reactions in this episode that I don't like. Especially after last episode and seeing mm-hmm. right like how close Isabel and Michael are and how fiercely she protects him. Yes, and how caring and loving she is towards him. Yeah. Yeah, so we get this little street scene because Michael is very upset that Max has told Isabel and he runs out. These streets look a lot more crowded and a lot dirtier than the set streets that we've seen so far. So that was kind of (laughs) cool. But Isabel wants Michael's report, Hank, and Michael says, to who, Valenti? And this is the first time where I'm like, okay, he's in foster care. He has a caseworker. By law. Before this even happens, when Michael first enters the crashdown, Amy DeLuca grabs his <laughs> face and is like, "Oh, my favorite little wrestler. <laughs> yeah. So Not that's great. another laugh and also, like, interesting and kind of funny. <laughs> my favorite little wrestler. But yeah, so to get back to this, um, I, like I mentioned, did some research on the foster care system in New Mexico specifically. So the New Mexico Children, Youth, and Families Department, or CYFD, they're the department that oversees the foster situation. This is a department that exists in all states. It's called different things. It's it's essentially, it's social services, but like some places it's called Children and Family Services. Some places it's called Children Protective Services. There are a bunch of different names, but when I'm talking about CYFD here, this is what I'm talking about, the social services people who oversee foster care. So I read their Foster Child and Youth Bill of Rights, and Michael's rights include being entitled to at least monthly visits with his caseworker that include private time between himself and the caseworker so he can share any concerns. He also should have been given a hotline phone number to call 24-7 to make a report if he feels that he's being abused and or neglected and for whatever reason doesn't feel like he can reach out to his caseworker or can't get through to his caseworker. Um, There is no guarantee that the foster care placement he was moved to would be better, but... hmm. Um, And so in 2000, when this episode aired, New Mexico had more than 3,500 children who cycled in and out of foster care at some point in the year. The median length of stay in the foster care system there in 2000 was 18 months. Um, So obviously, Michael is something of an outlier. He's been in the system, I guess, 10 years at this point, if they were found when they thought they were about six and now they're 16. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also looked into child abuse. And in 2000, the state had nearly 6,300 victims of child maltreatment. And currently, New Mexico has about twice the average um, rate of child abuse cases. Yeah. So this is a really big problem in, I mean, everywhere, but in New Mexico specifically, they, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there are, I found a lot of articles about how broken CYFD is and how broken their foster care system is. And... So if you want to learn more about this, I will talk about it more throughout the episode, but I'll also put a lot of resources that I found up in the show notes. But it is very upsetting to talk about, and you do read about cases where children were abused in horrific ways and um, killed. So if you don't want to read about those things, then don't follow some of the links in the show notes. Thank you for doing that research, Lisa. Yeah, Um, yeah. thank you. Absolutely. It's hard, hard stuff to read, so... Yes, but important to know about um, so that we can try to advocate for these kids. So Isabel here mentions that their dad is a lawyer and he once worked on an emancipation case. So I'm going to assume that he works in family law. That might not be how this show works. He might just be (laughs) general lawyer guy. (laughs) Yeah. But this is important because it obviously comes up later. And this is also where Isabel suggests that Michael use his powers to defend himself 
from Hank. And Michael says that he actually like fought really hard to exercise self-restraint and not use his powers because he was mm-hmm. afraid that he was going to kill Hank. I yeah. thought this was like a, a good look at Michael recognizing his own limitations and like having the wherewithal to be like, okay, I have to keep control because yeah. things could go really badly if I didn't, yeah. which we see a little bit later. But also puts into perspective how unhappy and how bad the situation is if he has already thought about that and thinks that his powers would get that out of control because he's that angry. I was really hoping that one of the pedestrians who were passing by on the street while they were loudly discussing being aliens, but also child abuse, one of those people would be like, um, hey kids, let's report this to CYFD. Or hey kids, I'm gonna call the sheriff. This is not okay, but alas. Yeah, I mean, I know that also, like, as a mandated reporter, it doesn't just have to be my clients. Like, if I hear about child abuse anywhere outside mm-hmm. of my job, I, I still am legally required to report it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Yeah, hang on. What powers are you using? But more <laughs> importantly, are you unsafe? Because we need to fix that immediately. And even if you're not a mandated reporter, you can report child abuse. Uh, Absolutely. In, I think in all states you can do so anonymously if you feel that you need to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just so, I'm just like, report child abuse, report child abuse, report child abuse. Jesus Christ, why are people abusing children? Okay. Yeah, it's a bummer that they don't trust adults, that yeah. they don't like have an adult that knows their situation and that they can talk mm-hmm. to. Well, I mean, it seems like Michael doesn't want to cause issue, doesn't want Valenti to know, doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want to make waves. He doesn't want to be found out and moved around and bring attention to them. So he's just trying to deal with it on his own, which is sad. Yeah. And so this is where Isabel says she thinks it would be good for Michael to come stay with them and be part of their family. And I cannot understand why he wouldn't have spent more time with them all along, starting from when they were little. Um, So we go to the Evans family home and like they say that the Evanses have never met Hank. So first of all, this like should have occurred to them before now. Their kids have been friends their whole life, presumably. But it also seems like Hank is the kind of person who would be like, oh, you have these friends? You're going to go stay at their house while I go out drinking or while I do whatever. Like if he had these close friends, I can't imagine that he wouldn't have taken advantage of this to like get Michael's dinner paid for by someone else and, like, have Michael sleep over with them so he didn't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it really, like, from the way that they all act, it seems like Michael's never even had dinner at their house before. Isabel has to be like, that's not how we do things here. I don't get any of this. It's weird. I feel I felt like in this scene, uh, the parents were, like, almost nicer than Max and Isabel. That, like, Isabel was, like, on edge you know, mm-hmm. trying to be mm-hmm. like, she's like answering his questions and she's like, oh, um, we don't do it like that. And like everything he's doing, she's kind of like looking around and like acting like he's doing everything wrong. And I felt like the parents were like a little more patient and were like, you know, asking him questions and um, and being like, Isabel, you don't have to talk for him. I felt like they were being more welcoming than Isabel mm-hmm. was, at least. Yeah. She was just nervous. She like straight up lies, though, and says that mm-hmm. his foster dad is in marketing When we find out Hank works at a plant, and I guess I don't, we don't know what kind of plant he could do plant based marketing, but I don't think so. And I don't understand, like, is she trying to make it seem like they're better off financially than they are? Like, is she embarrassed about Michael's situation? It just seems really crappy. 
Maybe she doesn't want their parents to know because then they won't want Izzy and Max hanging out with this boy from the wrong side of the tracks. But it's like already evident that Michael is, you know, from a little bit of a rougher upbringing just by the way he behaves and like sneaking in and out of their windows and all that kind of stuff. I also don't think that Evans have given any indication that they're the kind of people who would be like, you can't hang out with that child. He's poor. Yeah. yeah, they seem so kind and welcoming and, like, compassionate. Happy to have him there. Yeah, I really, like, I cannot believe that in the 10 years of their friendship, they have never once had Michael over. That just yeah. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. On a lighter note, um, this dinner scene is where we get our hot sauce sighting of the episode. Um, there is a bottle of Tabasco out on the dinner table. Mom and Dad know that Izzy and Max like spicy food. Maybe they want some Tabasco sauce on their green bean delight. (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe we need a hot sauce jingle. So when we spot some hot sauce, we can get a little hot sauce. Yeah. All right. It's spicy. I'll work on it. I'll work on it for sure. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) So from this dinner, we go to dessert at Maria's house where she and Liz walk in and start eating this coconut pie and then realize... Ooh, there are two plates out. Oh my god, the sheriff's hat is there, and there's giggling in the next room. Which is our our second to last laugh of the episode. Oh, okay. And the last one that is pleasant in any way. And, Mm. uh, yeah, they are so creeped out. As we all are, I think. (laughs) So then they go back and make it seem... Like, they are just arriving. She closes the door loudly, yells, Mom, I'm home! Mahandra's voice, like, kind of breaking when she does that line is so perfect. She does such a good job where she's, like, <laughs> she's great. uncomfortable and a little nervous and just, like, and it, oh, her line delivery is so good. So good. So then Amy comes back in, like, oh, you're home! So early! And, like, clearly, like, fixing up her shirt and, like, pulling on her things. Like, oh, is my bra still on? okay great got it good okay (laughs) but the sheriff on the other hand comes into the kitchen before getting all tucked in yeah yeah so his shirt is untucked he's got lipstick on his face not a good look no and he looks so pleased with himself he gives him this like kind of creepy smile yep why didn't he just stay in the room yeah maria's like mom you going to bed soon you going to bed alone like oh (laughs) oh all right um so i also noticed there were a bunch of fun things on their wall. I'll try to see if I can get a good screenshot of this. There's a poster that says, I'm a princess, I don't do dishes. There's a drawing <laughs> of feet that are labeled with, I guess, reflexology points. Oh, okay. okay. There's, uh, there's like a Valentine card. There's a couple other things. And then there's a framed photo of a blonde woman or older girl wearing a white dress and standing with two brown-haired kids. And I want to know who these people are and why their photo is in Maria DeLuca and Amy DeLuca's kitchen. Cousins? Yeah, I think I'm going to decide that they're, like, cousins who had a first communion, and Amy was like, mm, churches freak me out, we're not going, but yeah, send me a card, I'll put it up on the cabinet. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's say it was that. Yeah, and not, like, some uh, production person just sneaking a photo of their kids into the show. Which, like... <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How old does the picture look? Could it be like Amy or her mom when they were little, when she was Maybe. little? 
Yeah, I don't know. Probably not the most important takeaway from this scene, but I kept staring at it no, being like, who are these people? I feel like I always miss stuff like that when I'm taking notes. Apparently I need to pause when I have a note to take. Well, I think that Lisa pauses on every frame of every mm-hmm. episode. So yeah. <laughs> The Evanses are playing Monopoly with Yay! Michael. Yes, they are. And Michael, how did he get through school? Because he can't play he does not play well with others he refuses to play by the rules and then he freaks out like i don't really get this interaction it seems like it's meant to show michael's immature but like this is silly i felt like it was meant to show that michael is super sensitive and like kind of taking everything too personally you know like him owing the rent and like not having the mortgages or whatever um you know, he was he was saying like, oh, that your dad is trying to rub it in my face, like that I'm poor and, you know, live in a trailer because he was just making everything, taking everything really personally. Yeah. OK, maybe it was just like the emotional state he was in mm-hmm. then. Yeah. So it's like there's no way Michael just like can't get through a board game with other no, people. No, he's just like going through a hard time specifically right now. I think now. it's the emotional state plus him not playing well with others has caused him yeah, to really yeah. not play well with others yeah because <laughs> it seems like okay. his only friends growing up have been max and izzy and that's because they have a visceral connection to him you know that they all are aliens together it doesn't seem like he has other friends besides the you know the new people in their lives so well none of them have other friends this is a tv show we have to stick to the central characters no one else exists um, so Isabel, like, follows Michael outside. He has a little outburst and is like, I'm out of here. And she tells him that he was being rude to her dad, which he was. And Michael's like, he was sticking it to me for no reason. I was like, oh, baby. That's the way Monopoly works. <laughs> yeah. He just doesn't trust anyone. You yes. know, it's sad. It is. And Isabel wants him to to get help. And Michael says he doesn't want to become the poster child for domestic abuse. I was like, oh, my gosh, buddy. It's so sad. Yeah. And then Isabel, like, wants him to do something to not just push it down and pretend it didn't happen, which I think is how Michael deals with anything hard, is just to, like, run away and pretend that everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but Max comes out and is, like, kind of admonishing her for trying to help. I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? This is supposedly, like, your best friend. And he's like, mm, whatever, just, like, don't treat him like a child. Let him do what he's going to do. And again, in this case, like, it really doesn't matter what Michael wants to do if he is in danger. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes reporting things might get somebody mad at you. But, like... You gotta do it. I agree. It's, you know, protecting people is the most important, keeping people safe. Mm-hmm. And as we are seeing with Michael, like, sometimes when someone is in a really difficult situation, like... They're not making the most rational decisions. Uh, They can't necessarily think clearly. Um, And yeah, he doesn't really get a say in whether this is going to be reported or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we find out Michael has gone back to the trailer park. He finds Hank watching TV and Hank just kind of just like, where have you been? But doesn't really seem to care. And Michael has his bedroom again after the events of Into the Woods when for some reason he was sleeping right next to the front door. So good to see he has his own space back. (laughs) Maybe Hank fell asleep drunk in the one bedroom when in Into the Woods. Mm, Maybe. Because it does seem like there's only one bedroom. 
I don't know. I mean, I guess there could be two little bedrooms in there, but it seems like a pretty small trailer. But also, wouldn't Michael be required to have a bedroom, like, in the foster no, home? No, he's so... required to have his own bed, and he cannot share a bedroom with an adult, but he does not need to have his own bedroom. Got it. Well, but if there's only one bedroom in the space, then that would mean somebody needs to be in the living room and someone needs to be in the bedroom. Yeah. Hank just doesn't seem like the kind of person who would let him have the bedroom. Like, he would pretend it was yeah, his when the social one. worker came to visit. But mm, I think there must be two. Anyway, this doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, Tangent! Yeah. Um, so we go to Maria's room, where Amy has come in to ask Maria for space, and she doesn't want to feel like Maria is judging her all the time. This is where we sort of start to see the dynamic of their relationship. And while I don't think either of them really behaves perfectly, I actually kind of liked this because I think it is a fairly realistic representation of like a mother-daughter relationship, especially with a single mother who is very young. Yeah. So they're in age, they could be more of like, I mean, in real life, they're only 12 years apart. So it could be more of like an older sister type of thing. And you see Amy trying to walk this line where like, she knows that she is the mother and she is in charge, but she also has this not quite like friend relationship with Maria, but you know, sort of like friendly. Yeah. And they like, like each other. It seems like they hang out. She doesn't want to be the bad guy, but she's like trying to put her foot down. Yeah, and Maria is being all like, I don't want this guy to just use you for the same thing all men want. She's doing like the mom thing and being like, mm-hmm. men only want one thing. And then Amy's like, wait, wait a minute. Do you have personal experience with this? Excuse me? <laughs> yeah, well, first Amy tells her, Maria, there are like three single guys in all of Roswell and two of them live in the Desert Inn retirement community. <laughs> So that means her only option is Sheriff Valenti. Yeah, he's just uh-huh. here and a man, so whatever. And Maria helpfully points out that Jim is a cop and Amy is a hippie. And I would like to remind Amy that Jim once arrested you, Amy, because he thought you were cute, Amy, when you were a teenager. Amy, come on. Yeah, gross. And then they have this cute moment where Maria is like, Jim's a tough guy. Jim won't talk to you about his feelings. Jim's just going to pretend he doesn't need you. And Amy's like, don't worry, Michael will come around. And Maria's like, what? I wasn't talking about Michael. What? And like, she totally was. Of course. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then that's where we got the kind of brutal line, Lorena, that you alluded to, where Maria tells Amy to take it slow because once men get what they want, they disappear. And Amy says, I hope you're not talking from experience. And Maria comes right back with, just yours. I was like, oh, yeah, burn. Oh, that's gotta hurt. Ouch. (laughs) Yeah. Yikes. That is pretty mean for a conversation that started with Amy asking for space and and asking for Maria not to judge her. Yep. And it ends with (laughs) this. And then Maria's like, I'm gonna just judge you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a bummer. And then a bigger bummer is when we go back to the trailer. Uh... Hank is yelling at Michael for not doing the wash. Tells him he's good for nothing. No wonder your parents left you out in the desert. Who would want you? This makes me so sad. And then he like dumps the dirty laundry on Michael. Oh boy. Yeah. And Michael says something about like, you only keep me around for the monthly check. Which, yeah, accurate. I want to also be clear that like, you don't get a ton of money for being a foster parent. You know, it's like, it's not, it's not a good reason to be a foster parent. You don't get a lot of money. 
but the if money you're just, is not, not for you. If you're just giving your kid, like, cup yeah. noodles and not buying milk for their cereal, then you could probably profit off of it if you're a terrible, terrible person and you don't actually take care of the child. Yes, that would be neglect. Yes. And I would hope that your caseworker would notice and get you in trouble. Yeah. Well, at least in this universe, and from what I read, unfortunately, also in ours, CYFD is maybe not as on top of things as they should be, as evidenced by the next scene where, as we mentioned earlier, Hank keeps a loaded gun unlocked in the kitchen, which he points at children after he makes sexual advances against one of them and offers alcohol to a child yeah he says hello dolly and then like which i counted as a laugh but pretty fucking disturbing yeah Yeah. Uh, she throws a drink in his face which is lovely yes yes Yes. he grabs this gun which is i may mention a sniper rifle yeah, well, I think it's a hunting rifle, but it has a scope on it. It looks yeah. like a sniper rifle, but I, what do I know? Um, but yeah, with like a scope on it, it's like... Could be a, like a deer hunting rifle. I think it's, yeah, I think it's for yeah. hunting, but not something you should ever have in your house loaded. Not something you should ever have in your house unlocked. Nope. And not something that I would imagine a CYFD, any caseworker would come and see and be like, this seems fine. I will say I have worked with families, with foster families. I've worked with kids who are foster kids. And I mean, in in one case, uh, it was a single mother. Her ex-husband was no longer allowed to be around the children because of his alcohol problem. So like when DCF is what it's called in Massachusetts, Department of Children and Families, when they're doing their job correctly, which like I hope they usually are. I know they're not always. um, Someone drinking too much would be a problem be a big yeah. red flag also any gun that is not kept locked away sit in a safe or whatever i mean having guns around at least in massachusetts having guns around at all is like something that they would worry about yeah well here in louisiana i don't think they would care but you do need to have them locked up they have to be locked away they yeah. can't just be like out for the kids to be like what's this let's play with no it way. let's take it to school And that's, like, for foster kids or any kids. You can't have guns, like, out within their reach. And loaded is what it seemed to be. Oh, yeah, because Hank cocks it and, like, points it at them like he's going to murder them. And then Michael gets really upset because Hank has accosted Isabel and Michael's powers get a little bit out of control or a lot of bit out of control. Hank pulls the gun and uh, Michael uh, starts using his control, his powers. The fridge is opening and the gun goes off as it gets shoved out of the way and they make their escape, leaving Hank uh, very confused and scared. And calling Michael a freak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this seems really dangerous uh, because of the gun. And I wondered why Max or Isabel didn't step in and say, well, Michael, let us handle this because we have better control over our powers. Maybe it would have just upset Michael in the moment, but um, it seems like this could have gone more smoothly. We saw Max in the convention, like, magic the gun away from Hubble. Would have been cool if he had just done that here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. But we needed this to happen so we could have the drama and then michael they go outside to the jeep and michael is blaming max and isabel 
for making it worse, which seems really unfair. They didn't do anything wrong. They came in because they were worried about him. And Michael says, I know Hank's a jerk, but that's the only thing I had. And now you guys screwed that up for good. And then he tells them, I don't belong there. I don't belong there. I don't belong here. I don't belong anywhere. And it's so sad. Yeah. Poor Michael. Like, he's he's kind of being a jerk, but, like, he's also just having a really hard time, and he's gone through some pretty traumatic things. So yeah. I have space for him to be um, very emotional. And this is one of the places where I feel like Isabel is kind of out of character, because mm-hmm. then she's like, would it kill you to ask for help? Like, she is not being very sensitive to the situation or very caring about the trauma that Michael is going through right now. Yeah, she and Max are really harsh with him, and that's not Mm -hmm. what he needs. He feels like no one's there for him, and he doesn't have any family, any support system. He needs someone who will just be like, we're here for you, we want to give you whatever it is that you need. And he doesn't get that from them. Yeah, they're just reinforcing his feelings that he doesn't have anybody. So it is very fortunate that he has Maria, and he now goes to her house. So she's looking out her window that has a beaded curtain in front of it. (laughs) Which, like, cool. I definitely had my fair share of beaded curtains. Never in a window, though. Cool. Whatever. (laughs) Um, It's not really going to block out any light or your neighbors from viewing what's going on inside. But okay. And she's looking outside. She sees him and then goes back inside, takes some drops of her tincture, and then just swigs the bottle, which is probably not the best. Probably doesn't taste great. Probably too much of it. Um, And looks back outside as if it's, like, going to bring her back to reality and he won't be there anymore but he's still there well it's supposed to shock your body back to reality (laughs) but i really like i could have done without that here i think it was supposed to be a moment of lightness but i think the scene works better when it's just showing how genuine their feelings for each other are so Mm -hmm. i would have preferred if we just focused on that um i also want to make a note about the song here so we have in the streaming and DVD versions, the song Life in Three Parts by High Water Rising. I think it works really well tonally here. Mm-hmm. But the original, we had Collective Souls Run, whose lyrics are a bit more appropriate to the situation that's mm-hmm. playing out. Um, so if you want to put that song on and rewatch this scene, I think it gives you something a little bit different. Cool. So there's also what I use is a live journal that I honestly didn't even know. LiveJournal.com was still an active domain, but (laughs) it is. I will link to this. I think I've linked to it before in our show notes. Um, Like the first thing I did when I found this website was back it up on the Wayback Machine because I was like, I can't lose this. What if LiveJournal does go out of business? Yeah. I know. I need to like save my LiveJournal somewhere. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure it's still up. Oh, yeah. God, I don't even want to look at mine. I'm sure it's horrible. (laughs) I was not the best in middle. I mean, who was? Who was at their best in middle school? I was. I was perfect. Great. Good for you. It's all downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, this live journal is just a treasure. Thank you to, I believe the username is Sweet Honey Girl. Oh, thanks, Sweet Honey Girl. Thank you, Sweet Honey Girl. Speaking of sweet... Maria is being very tender and gentle with Michael. She's toweling off his hair. She's worrying about him getting pneumonia. She has him take off his wet shirt, but then they get into bed and he's still wearing his soaking wet undershirt and soaking wet pants, which can't be comfortable and is going to make her bed mildewy. But not the point. The point is that it was not sexual at all. The, you Correct. know. So if he took off his pants, it would maybe be a different thing. 
Yeah. But I agree. Don't get into bed with wet clothes on. Ugh, gross. But she's the only person so far who's given him what he needs, which is just someone to be there for him without judging him, without questioning him. Like, she even says, it's okay, you don't need to tell me what's going on. She just knows that he needs her, and so she's there for him. And even when he starts crying, which we have to imagine is a rare occurrence for him, she doesn't push it. She's not like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Just talk to me. She just holds him, and she strokes his hair, and gives him exactly what... Max and Isabel couldn't or wouldn't give him. Mm -hmm. This scene made me cry both times that I watched it. It Yeah, it's very touching. It's very sweet. It's like they're each other's family in a certain kind of way, too. Mm. But this doesn't go over super great with good old Mama DeLuca. No, Who comes in the morning and is like, what the what the what the what the what? Freaking out. My baby girl's having sex. Swatting him with her newspaper. Yeah, she has Maria meet her in the kitchen so they can talk about this. Maria's like, I'm not having sex. We just slept together. He wasn't even thinking about sex. It was the last thing on his mind. And Amy's like, yeah, he's a 16-year-old boy. I'm sure he wasn't even thinking about sex while you were lying in bed together. Yeah, I agree with Amy. If my teenage daughter had a teenage boy in her bed, even if they didn't have sex, even if she said they didn't have sex, I'd be like, well... He's a teenage boy. At the same time, like, I don't know, maybe Amy could have picked up on, like, that that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, is everything okay with him? Yeah, I do think they get to a nice place. Like, Amy says she's trying really hard to prevent Maria from making the same mistakes that she made. Like, she's clearly trying to connect. And, like, yeah, I wish she had trusted her initially, but I think it makes sense that she has this moment of freaking out and of being suspicious. And I would like to think that she then by the end of their conversation, comes around to being like, okay, look, if you are telling me straight up that nothing physical happened, then I believe you, Mm -hmm. but this can't happen again. You can't have boys in your room without me knowing about it. Yeah, fair. That's that's where, when I wrote the rest of the scene in my head, that's where (laughs) it went. (laughs) I also think in this scene, there was some level of Amy kind of like being not jealous, but like being mad that Maria was giving her a hard time, but then yeah. having a boy over too. you know, yeah, she, she absolutely. even says, why is it OK for you and not OK for me? Mm-hmm. Which I think is like a little silly because Amy's the mom. She doesn't need yes. Maria's validation. Yeah. But maybe it does come back to what we're talking about. Or like she's so young. She probably had Maria when she was around Maria's age. That's my yeah. guess. So I understand her being especially sensitive to this. Also, mm-hmm. because Maria just, because you know, because of the statement that Maria said in their last argument, like, you know, giving her a hard time for, like, her history with men. Yeah. So it makes sense that Amy is being protective and is like, well, you know, you obviously have a problem with my history of men. I don't want you to have that same history. Right. I get it. Yeah. What I don't get is why any sheriff's deputy would come to the classroom door to collect a child. This is so I inappropriate. Would say they wouldn't. I mean, they do it so that the girl in the striped shirt can, like, very intensely watch the situation. With a face. She, yeah. she made a face. I am, like, so interested in who this extra is and what direction she was given. And if at any point they were like, um, can you just tone it down a little, sweater just girl, little. please? This is a lot. <laughs> she looks, yeah. like, simultaneously impressed and disgusted. Yes. She was clearly like, this is going to be my big break. This is going on my sizzle reel. Someone's going to see it and be like, make that girl a star. I looked in the IMDb to see if I could find her listed, even if it was like 
Because, you know, sometimes people can add themselves to the IMBD listing, even if they're, like, basically an uncredited extra. Like, you could add yourself in. Like, I could add myself into Bottle Shock, even though I have, like, no lines. Like, I could list myself Mm. on the credits there. I was an extra. But, like, she did not list herself there. So I can only assume she went on to have some normal adult career and, uh... (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe she tried to list herself and whoever has the rights to approve or disapprove things for that project was like, nope, nope, you're not going on our page, lady. Uh Uh-uh. Get out. I also think back in 99, 2000, it was probably not as common as it is today to, like, have an IMDb page that you updated regularly as Mm -hmm. an actor. I mean, she could go in and update it now. Where is that girl? Who is she? Hey, Striped Sweater Girl, if you're out there and you're listening, yeah. let us know what's up with that. What were you yeah, doing with your Our email is roswellhotsauce <laughs> at gmail.com. Please reach out. Okay, so Michael gets taken to the sheriff's office where he is being questioned regarding Hank's disappearance. And let me tell you all the reasons that this makes absolutely no sense. So, like, I get that Michael has a reputation as a troublemaker. Hank is an adult. He's been gone less than a day. He just, like, didn't show up to work. And Mm -hmm. I guess someone, for some reason, went to his house, and he wasn't there, and they called the sheriff? Or maybe because the sheriff says that there was the strange noises going on, maybe a neighbor called in a a noise complaint? Yeah. So the issue here is... Hank uh, abandoning his foster child. He has legal obligations. There's no reason to really think there is foul play involved. Like, I know there were the, the gunshots, but, like, they don't have blood. They obviously don't have a body. There are no signs that anyone was physically injured. And Michael's a minor. You can't just take him in for questioning. I mean, we saw them do this before when he broke into yeah, the info center. In Not allowed. You have to notify his CYFD caseworker. He has to have a parent or guardian. He has to have, okay, they're like, he has to have legal representation. And also, like, I would think people at the plant would be like, well, like, Hank's a drunk. Sometimes he just doesn't show up to work. Yeah, I would think it's more because of the calls from neighbors about the weird sounds mm-hmm. and the gunshots more than him not showing up to work. Because, like, it's probably not that unusual for Hank not to show up to work. Right. Which also should have been an issue that the CYFD caseworker took note of. Yes. And the sheriff says that the neighbors heard tortured sounds that were like an animal, t- sounds that were almost inhuman. I was like, we didn't hear these sounds. Was Hank no. just like walking around the trailer park afterwards going, I think we found out later. Yeah. My assumption is that 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 something else obviously went down after the kids left. Maybe there was even more gunshots, more sounds, because when, assumably, Nisero showed up, something happened that resulted in Hank's death. So I was assuming that's where the sound, the noise complaint is coming from. It's more from that situation. I... Okay, so the timeline gets real messed up at the end of this episode for reasons that I'll get into then, which is why I thought, like... Hank couldn't have already been dead at this point because he would have been, like, decomposing by the time we get to the end of the episode if the timeline made sense, which it doesn't, so. Yes. We don't know that he wasn't. I mean, he could have been decomposing. We weren't there to smell. Well, oh, we don't know that he was But, like, okay, so I'll get into this. Emancipation takes a long time. Michael decided to get emancipated. There are months Mm. before that court date. So, oh, like, okay. probably they're just pretending it was, like, the next day, and so there's only maybe a few days here. But, like, in my somehow... brain, I was like, oh, this is, like, six months later. Oh, yeah, yeah no, no. In my head, I was like, doesn't this process take a right. long time? But maybe 
you know, Mr. Parker used his, or not Mr. Parker, maybe Mr. Evans used his connections to like speed the process along or something, Philip. you know, even if that's not realistic. Um, okay. That's a good point, Lisa. I'm, I'm assuming they just, for the sake of the plot, made it just It took short. him a few days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then we head to the crash down where Liz is uh, wandering around in her own little world and not noticing that Maria is down until Maria doesn't really respond to her. Such a great friend. Liz is also so proud of herself for successfully saying no to Max in her imagination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then we have this little moment that I really could have done without where Isabel and Maria are having this like standoff for a tiny moment and I'm glad it doesn't last long like as soon as Maria finds out the stakes and knows that Hank's been hurting Michael she's like oh okay mm-hmm. yeah but like I hate this thing of like they're teenage girls so they have to like be catty with each other and like be protective of their relationship with the boy I don't like yeah. it I also hated when Maria says oh yeah Michael was at my house all night Liz is like he spent the night what happened to saying no immediately after Isabel has just said Hank is beating Michael yeah this is such a bizarre reaction to have why yeah also like and again it doesn't like y'all know Liz isn't my favorite but this seems out of character for her to hear my friend is being abused and Maria let him stay with her to escape his abusive situation and to be like, Maria, we had a no boys pact. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, this would have to stupid. be just a monster. And I don't and think to be she fair, is. To be fair, Maria did say no. When he first showed up, she was like, no, 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 no. And then let him in and, and found out, like, realized that he was really not okay. Yeah, Maria did nothing wrong. And no. it doesn't make sense for Liz to be this insensitive and to be like totally unconcerned about Michael's well-being it just doesn't add up so Max comes in and says like Valenti has Michael and he's suspected in Hank's disappearance and this is stupid that this guy's gone for like a few hours and they're questioning his kid whatever but then Maria goes home and she confronts her mom and begs her mom to help with the situation because of her mom's relationship with Valenti and to vouch for her that Or, I mean, not even vouch for her, but to, like, fill Valenti in that Michael was at their house. I did think it was weird because Maria's like, you know the boy that was here the other day? Yeah. And they're talking about him making a good impression. It's like, not only did her mom bring up Michael in one of their last conversations, towards the beginning of the episode, she grabbed Michael's face and was like, oh, my little wrestler. Like, she knows who Michael is. So I think this was another instance of the writers wanting to use a line because this is a very cute line where Maria's like, you know, the boy that I slept with but didn't sleep with? And Amy's like, unfortunately, the shock has indelibly printed his face in my brain. And this is a cute line, but it doesn't make any sense in the context no, of the No, she episode. knows him. Yeah. And then Maria says he's in jail? Valenti, you, ca- you can't. You can't. You shouldn't have been questioning him no. in the first place. You can't keep him in custody. And... Where the heck is CYFD? Who should have been immediately notified? It also seems like at this point, Michael has told Valenti about the abuse. Valenti is a mandated reporter, for sure. Mm-hmm. Ah, God, ah, ah, ah. I know, like, we don't see CYFD at all. No. At all. No. Not at the emancipation hearing, not at all. No, this is not how the law works. Foster right. kids just, like, find themselves a placement and then hang out there, I guess, with no help from anyone. Ugh. 
So they they do get Michael released, which is good because he was being wrongly imprisoned. And Amy thanks Jim and he believes her when she says Michael was at their house, which like, so none of this should be necessary, but Amy doesn't actually know that Michael was at her house all night. No, she only saw him in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> so if there actually had been a crime, this wouldn't be like an awesome thing to do to alibi someone when you right. really don't know where they were. And like, even Maria, he could have snuck out at any point. Not relevant here, but like, mm, okay. And Jim wouldn't have believed Maria because she's 16. She'd say anything to protect her boyfriend. Jeez Louise, man. Come on. Uh, it's so upsetting. He's such a jerk in this. And then Amy is like, well, your job keeps coming between us. And Maria's at that stage. And I have to keep an eye on her. And you're a distraction. And Jim is like, don't give me up. What? Yuck. What? Y'all have been on, what, three dates now? But he's been harboring a crush for her since she was a teenager. So gross. And he just told her that he doesn't trust her child. So then we go, like, into the desert, and mm. Michael's talking to Max and Isabel, and he says that he's going to leave and to find Nacero. Yeah. Because Nacero is his family. Yeah. And Isabel says something, she says, like, put, it's, put up or shut up. And I don't even understand what she means uh, in this context. I would like to point out, for anyone watching on Hulu, when you go to the Roswell page, there is a still from this scene, it looks like, that Hulu uses as the background image. So if you think that this scene looked familiar, that's why. Oh. Just a little tidbit. So this is also where um, Michael says Jim told him he was going to find a new foster situation for him. So that's like Jim's Jim job. clearly knows about the no, abuse. Not Again, his job. he's a mandated reporter, and yeah, like... What the heck, man? You don't, you're the freaking sheriff. You don't find foster placements for kids. This doesn't make any sense. And if Jim believed Michael that Hank was abusing him, why was he still holding him? Like, did he think Michael had killed Hank in retribution for the abuse? I mean, maybe because he isn't CYFD or C, is that what it's called? And um, doesn't know what else to do with him because he can't, he's like trying to find somewhere else for him to stay. And so he chose jail. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's not, no, it's no good. So Michael has this like really sad little line where he says, you two can stay in your nice little world with your pot roast and your Monopoly games because it's pretty clear to me you're not interested in finding our real home, but I'm going to. I'm going to find Nacero. He's my family. And then poor Isabel is like, what are we? But she doesn't give Michael a chance to answer before she turns on him, accuses him of acting like a child. And Max, like, is a little bit more logical, and it's like, hey, this guy could be dangerous. Um, and then, like, again, so out of character, Max is the one who acts like he's going to go after Michael when Michael storms off. And Isabel stops him and says, go on and run, Michael. It's what you do best. Yeah, so out of character for her. Again, I just don't yeah. like so much of the way she behaves in this episode. For being one of my favorite people. Also, where is Michael going? So they're by a private train track in the middle of the desert. I don't even know how far they are from a paved road. So even if he's hitchhiking. Oh boy. He's got to get somewhere. Right, like get a ride back to the highway or something. Uh, but he, he needs to be dramatic about it. You know, my, Max says, we need to stick together. Michael says, you're wrong, Max. Uh, and walks off. It's all very sad. So then Max goes to Liz's house. <gasps> Max... Without Liz hearing, has climbed up that metal ladder and yep. walked across her balcony or landing or whatever it is. She's going to get murdered one of these Maybe days. Maybe he teleported <laughs> up there like he did to the roof in the last episode during Blind Date. Yeah, true. I would like to enter this into uh, 
Liz science watch because she's looking through a telescope at the stars. Yay! It's weird that she's not narrating it into her science journal. No, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with the lack of voiceover. My name is Liz Parker, and those are stars. (laughs) And they are in the sky. So Liz says she heard about Michael and asks if Max is okay, which is nice. But isn't she at all concerned about Michael? No. Nope. No, she's not. Okay. Okay. And Max confides that he's worried Michael is going to leave without saying goodbye, and he doesn't want to lose Michael. And Liz is just like... Don't worry about it. Super helpful. Yep, that sounds about right. And then at the Evans' house, Isabel is holding onto the stones that they got from River Dog in the cave. Right. Yeah. They were originally from Nasato, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. The rocks. From the home planet. Yeah. And Max comes in through a locked door, which is a huge po- privacy violation, very rude, yes. and a great way to accidentally see your sister naked, yeah, Max. bad idea. Just not cool. knock. Knock right? on the door. She'll open it. He basically, like, picked the lock and went in without knocking or saying, like, hey, is it's Max, I need to talk to you. With no warning. Ridiculous. Um, and, and Isabel says that the stones don't mean anything without Michael. So now oh. she's back to, like, her normal yeah. self of, like, loving him and missing him yeah. um, and feeling like they're not a family without him. Michael's leaving. Max is barging in without knocking to the trailer now, too. This is just his well, thing. Hank's not there. It's just Michael, so. And then we get um, a Max line that made me just so angry. Yep. I think I know exactly which one you mean. Yeah. (laughs) So essentially, Max says it's harder for him because he doesn't have excuses when he screws up because of his loving family. But whenever Michael screws up, he can what an insensitive blame it on dick. Him. Oh, my God. So essentially what Max is saying is, I can't blame it on anybody else except myself when I'm an asshole. Oh, he's terrible. He's terrible. What a drag. But here, if you're leaving, here's a brown paper sack wrapped up with some string of some shit to take with you. Oh, I hate this. Also, why didn't Isabel go with Max? To say goodbye to Michael. Wouldn't she have wanted to see him one more time? Well, maybe Max thinks he's going to talk Michael out of it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe Max being an asshole didn't tell her he was going. I don't know. But but she's the one who gave him the the package. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand why Isabel wouldn't have gone. So Michael takes all that stuff to the road and all of his stuff to the road to hitchhike. Yeah. So this is another instance where I think there's a song replacement that actually worked well. We get Neva DeNova's Did You Disappoint Your God? Um, Mm. Which I think is pretty appropriate here. It replaces the original, uh, which was Bush's 40 Miles from the Sun. I actually liked the replacement song better in this case. I'm not a huge Bush fan, so that might have something to do with it. Um, But... This is a song that I think if you go and like listen to it and look up the lyrics, it works really well for this scene. Mm-hmm. I also I want to point out that it's raining again because it rains when Michael runs away from things. Hmm. When Michael is sad, the rain is uh-huh. his tears. <laughs> when Michael is sad, the clouds are sad too. Yeah. Please don't Aww. at me telling me that's not how rain works. I know. That's it's not. <laughs> Isn't it though? <laughs> Um, so then finally someone stops, this truck driver stops and proceeds to talk a lot of shit about Roswell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which like, honestly, fair. Yeah, sure. He's not like wrong about any of it. 
No, like if you were an alien, why would you go there? Yeah. And then, but I think it's very poetic because he's like, if you could go anywhere in the world, would you pick Roswell? There ain't nothing in that town. And Michael is like, hang on, I would pick Roswell and there is something for me in that town. <laughs> and he has flashbacks of like him and his alien triplet friends or whatever. Yeah. Like, like the three of them are a, tri- a, a threesome. You know, yeah. that's, it's the three of them go together. And so he's having these flashbacks of whatever, his hallucination his and childhood. Yeah. So then Michael ends up coming back to Roswell and the Evans are all coming into the kitchen in the morning and Michael is already there. Yep. He's broken yep. in helpfully to make them yep. the world's biggest omelet. Yes. Cracking eggs with one hand. Way to go. I can't really do that. <laughs> so then uh, Michael does take this opportunity to ask Philip, I think that's the dad's name, about um, emancipation. He asks, he says that he needs some help. Um, thank goodness that he does. Yes. Philip explains, like, it's a complicated thing, but it can be done. Yes. And so then this is where I think we have a time jump of four to six months, which is roughly the amount of time it takes to go through the emancipation process on average. And at this point, when they're in the courtroom, I assume Michael has gathered all of the required paperwork, petitioned the court. Uh, Both Hank and his CYFD caseworker have been notified. CYFD has sent a representative who is invisible since we don't see them. Uh, Michael has also (laughs) at this point secured a place to live and has demonstrated that he can manage his own finances and support himself independently since that is something he is required to do. A judge won't grant him emancipation if he's going to be homeless. That would be not in his best interest. And presumably at no point did Michael's school record or his criminal record come up because why would a judge care about those things? He wouldn't care at all. Not in this universe. So the judge here is played by Robert Katims, who is the father of Jason Katims, the creator and executive no producer way! of Roswell. Oh, how yeah. fun! Nice little cameo. Yeah. And then we uh, cut to uh, what we think is Hank. Well, yeah, it's someone in a Hank suit. Yep. Who shows up at Sheriff Valenti's and is like, oh, I got a new job. I'm leaving town. I can't take this kid with me. Yeah, and so he says Jim put out an APB for him. He must have been gone a while at this point then, because you don't put out an APB after someone's been missing for, like, a day. Um, And, like, again, he's abandoned his foster child. CYFD would also be very involved in this. And, like, all of the things that Jim tells him happens, like, Hank says he was cleaning his gun while he was drunk. Should report that to CYFD, mm-hmm. because even if he's not fostering Michael anymore, because, again, he's abandoning him, he should be put on the list of people who can never, ever have custody of a child. Next, we realize that Hank is not Hank. He's a Nacero or a shapeshifter or a something just wearing the Hank suit, as Lisa said, and the real Hank is in the trunk of the car. Yeah. Dead. Uh, very dead. And the shapeshifty guy seems to have his own dietary quirk. Is he popping Tic Tacs, or is this supposed to be, like, alien they were, like, magic pills. medicine? Okay. I don't know. Well, hopefully we're gonna find out. And then he turns into a visibly Latino dude. Uh-huh. Finally! Are we gonna get some representation on the show? Because that would be cool. Yes. So, speaking of diversity, 
When we do these episodes, y'all know I do a lot of research, and one of the ways I do that is by reading a couple of Roswell books. One of them is Roswell High Times by Keith Topping. And so there is uh, there's a quote in here that I thought y'all would be interested in. Um, so this is the author. By adding a hint of Hispanic authenticity, Mahandra Delfino also helps to anchor the series in real-world Roswell's Southwestern, and hence Latino, roots. Both David Nutter and Jason Katims have expressed a desire to make their Roswell reflect New Mexico's varied ethnic map, with Nutter talking about a, quote, responsibility and challenge to examine ethnic diversity, end quote. This also extends to the show's adult characters, with Michael Horse, an actor of mixed Pueblo descent, and the various Native American characters from the episodes 7, River Dog, and 10, The Balance. Because that's how you do diversity. It's by having one of your leads be a Latina who you never acknowledge as Latina, and then having a couple side characters who pop up for an episode or two to help the white people fulfill their missions. And also changing the main character's ethnicity from Latina in the books to just a white girl with the last name Parker. Yeah, well... Um, with that upsetting note, I think uh, we reached the end of this episode, yes? Um, we have. All right. I have some lingering questions for this episode, and I usually do, so I thought maybe we could introduce a new segment where we talk about, at the end of the episode, what are the things that we are left wondering? Perfect. Unanswered questions. Yes. So I have a lot of questions about how the shape-shifting thing works. Um, I hope that we'll see more of that as it goes along. But I also wanted to know, do we think Nacedo killed Hank, which is what it sounds like y'all thought from uh, Jim's description of the struggle. But I was also wondering if Hank had like drunk himself to death and then Nacedo was just like, here's an opportunity to take over. Um, I was also wondering like what kind of connection Nacedo needs to someone because clearly Hank's dead now. He still looks like him. Like, would he be able to turn back into him? Or, like, did he need to be touching him when he first turned into him? Like, how does that work? I want to know more about yeah. the mechanics or of it. Or can he only hold that shape for a certain amount of time if the person is dead? Like, maybe he can only last for so long. So he needs to, like, now tie up loose ends and get out before he can't hold the shape any longer. So many questions. What are Lisa's predictions for the next episode based on the episode title, Sexual Healing? <laughs> oh, God. My prediction. You look so excited about this, Lisa. My prediction is that I will hate this episode a lot. I don't want to see any of that. I really don't want to see sex scenes. So I'm not looking forward to that one. My more plot-based prediction is that we'll see more of Nacedo and find out more about his motivations. Maybe find out, like, is he really here to protect our alien trio? Or does he perhaps have a more nefarious purpose of his own? And, like, has he really just been going around straight up murdering people for the past 40 years? Because if so, I don't think he's the best father figure for poor Michael, who just wants a loving family. Yeah. Um, do we dare do hot and saucy this episode (laughs) now let's see who's hot and saucy saucy I had a hard time 
I finally came up with Amy DeLuca. I don't think she's making the best choice in dating Jim just because he's male and single and there. But I do think she's doing her best as a single mom and she does end up standing up for her daughter. And she gets some funny lines here and there. I think her facial expressions are pretty saucy. So she is my pick in what was overall a real downer of an episode. My pick for this episode is Maria when she is so caring and loving for Michael when that's what he needs. Being caring and loving to someone is hot. Uh, I also picked Amy DeLuca for this episode. As gross as all the flirting is between her and Jim Valenti, I (laughs) appreciated her line about when I make a pie for someone, I expect it to get eaten. Oh, yeah. That was saucy. (laughs) Lisa's making a grossed out face but but I mean really like I appreciate the the notion of like her saying look if I put a lot of effort into something or if we have plans I expect you to follow through I expect you to commit to what you said Mm -hmm. you'll commit to um yeah so all gross uh associations aside um I thought that was hot uh, I thought that was saucy and I think that she's hot so yeah um as a quick corollary a side note to hot and saucy in the same book that i mentioned and read from earlier um they quote an interview with brendan fair where he talks about how this is his favorite episode of roswell because obviously he got to do a lot of stuff but they also quote the interviewer asking him if he would date a fan brendan responded quote that's a tough call i was walking around the mall before and you might get a look or two but no one really cares then you suddenly become big time and you're better looking well he is incredibly good looking i know i just really enjoyed this idea of like teenage brendan fair walking around a mall being like oh my god girls are checking me out what it must be because i'm famous and fame makes you hot like no baby (laughs) you're just a good looking man but it just makes people know who you are Yeah. yeah But I think that, I don't know, I thought that was very cute of him to just be like, what? People are noticing me. Very cute. Thanks for joining us for this depressing look at the uh, child services system in New Mexico. We will be back on Tuesday, March 17th with episode 16, Sexual Healing. Check out our new minisode next Tuesday, where, by listener request, we'll be covering the history of Area 51, including research and fun quizzes where we can find out more information about it. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so that other people can find it and listen too. As a special incentive, we'll be doing a sticker giveaway, which you can enter by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce, and just look for the post where we announce that giveaway, comment, and you'll be entered to win a shiny new Pass the Hot Sauce sticker. If you are interested in more information, including links to any of the resources that I mentioned in this episode or any of my research sources, you can find those all on our show notes page on our website, roswellhotsauce.com. You can email us with any questions, comments, and concerns at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com. Pass the Hot Sauce is produced and edited by Ashley Hullett. Our theme music is by David Belcourt, and our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time, hey mom and dad. I am not having sex.